It's been such a cool series, such a cool campaign to see the results, to see how God has been moving in our body, and at the center of it all has been Isaiah 58, 12. It reads like this. Your people will rebuild, say rebuild, the ancient ruins, and will raise up, say raise up, the old fashioned, the old, I blew it, my goodness, the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer, say repairer, repairer. of broken walls, restorer, restorer of the streets with dwellings. That's the picture that we had at the start of the campaign. Rebuilding, raising up, repairing, restoring, ruins, old foundations that are broke down, walls that are crumbling, streets and dwellings that we live among, and th that those first descriptors are really our lives, the lives of those who are trying to live for God in this world, chasing after him, that this picture is a picture we hold as a body of almost like an aspirational um, picture, that we, we want to be that. And we, the hope and the prayer through this campaign is that we would be in a better place to be able to rebuild, to raise up, to repair, to restore the lives, our lives, this church, the church body as a whole and all that, that come together here, the neighborhood that we find ourselves in and, and this greater story that's going on in the world. We want to be a rebuilding, a raising up, a repairing, and a restoring work, and we want to see that happen in our church and in our lives. It's kind of been the story we've been celebrating of, man, so much has happened during this series. 18 years. We are a church that's now 18 years old, and we've been about that same foundational, that same desire to be a part of God's redemptive work in our lives. Most of us are here because that's the kind of work, that's the kind of church, that's the kind of way we want to follow Christ is to be involved in that work. Our mission and our mission statement helps us focus on that all the time around here. Our mission is to manifest God's kingdom, that it would be on earth like it is in heaven here more and more and more and now that we would really believe it could be better. It could be more the way that God wants it to be in our lives and in our world, and we live for that by calling out disciples and renewing our neighborhoods. The 10-10-80 conversation that we've had throughout this series as well has really been about a discipleship tool. 10-10-80, that, that is just like a biblical principle that we can use in our lives as a discipleship tool to help us follow Christ more effectively and ultimately to like put us in a place and put us in a position where we can be a part of God's redemptive work in this world so that we can be a part of his restoring and repairing and his rebuilding and his raising up, that, that we shoot to do that, not as the end goal, that once we can check the box of doing 10-10-80, we're set, we can just keep going to church and, you know, lead our religious lives. No, that is when the whole game starts, is once we're in that position, because then we're able to participate. Then we're a part, uh, able to be a part of God's work and mission in our world. The 10-10-80 is a discipleship tool that we've been focusing on that's really a, a principle. The best discipleship tool when it comes to looking into the mirror of biblical stewardship. 
The stewardship word is like us taking care of all that God has given us, all that God has created us, us taking responsibility for keeping it and helping it become more and more God's way. I love the picture that starts to like form or should be forming in our heads when we think of ourselves as rebuilders, as lives that are, have the capacity now to help raise up, to help bring the repair, to help bring the restoration to the ruins and the foundations of lives and families, to the broken walls, the streets and dwellings of our neighborhood and see God's greater impact unfold in this world. Isaiah 58 is, man, such a cool chapter of the book of Isaiah. It goes on to kind of just build on, on this kind of picture, help us see what God wants for us and like who and how he wants us to be as his church, who and how he wants us to, you know, to lead and live our lives. Verse 6 through 9 reads like this, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. Isn't that the kind of fasting? Fasting was like just the religious activity. It, it's like another spiritual discipline that we, that we take on in our lives to better uh, know Christ and make him known in the world. And God is saying like, isn't, isn't that better? Isn't what I really want is your life in a place where you can help be a part of loosing chains of injustice, of untying cords of the yoke, being able to be a part of the work that helps the oppressed be set free? Isn't a better life than what we fall into if we just watch this world and live the American dream? Isn't something better like to be able to share our food with the hungry, to provide for the poor wanderer, to give them shelter? When we see the naked, to be in a place, in a position where we can do something about that and clothe them. We don't turn away from our own flesh and our blood. No, when we start to live this way, then the light breaks forth like the dawn and our healing comes quickly and the righteousness, God's righteousness comes on and goes before us and goes behind us as our rear guard. And then we will call on him, the Lord, and he will answer and we will cry out for help and he'll say like, I'm here, I am with you. My presence, my power, my work happening in and through your life. That's like the vision of this series. That's the, the heart of Kingdom Foundations. Why do we want Kingdom Foundations uh, to be what our life is built on so we can be like this, this kind of people, this kind of church in our world because the need is so great. Isaiah 58, 12 a verse to center us, 58, a chapter to help center us. But we've really been tracking kind of through Nehemiah's life. We've been looking at the book of Nehemiah to kind of make our journey through this series. And it's really because of Nehemiah's life is a picture for us. It's a, it's a role model to be like him, to be like him as a church collectively, but each of us to think that it's possible for us to lead a Nehemiah kind of life. Nehemiah's life was an example of leadership. He gave up the comfortable and the wealthy position that he could have hold and, uh, held and stayed comfortable in in Persia, but instead he returned to the fractured homeland where things had been vandalized and sit far apart from how they could be and how they should be. And he saw that and he rallied people to rebuild the walls, to face the opposition, 
to raise the defense because he cared enough about the heart of God and what God's will and want was for the world that he wanted to join that. And because of his care for his people, he could not sit in comfort when someone else is in pain. He's the kind of life, the kind of leader that has to enter that story and do what he has to in his life to get there. As we focused on Nehemiah through the book, as we looked at his life, there's five characteristics that jump out of his life. That he, he lived with vision and we're being led so well as a body by Pastor Christie and the board. We have good vision around here. Vision is about like putting on the God eyes, trying to see things the way that God sees them so that we see them accurate. How are things supposed to be? Where are things short of how God created them to be in this world? Another awesome word for leadership is actually stewardship. Stewardship might be the better word. Leadership kind of becomes this chest-pounding thing and who's the leader and all this kind of stuff, but stewardship is this responsibility that God gives all of us to like care for the world and everything in it. God created it and it was all good and it's supposed to go that way and we're the ones who are made to take care of that and to further that and to steward and take that responsibility is that we step into that space and we say, I don't know why God thought so, but he thinks so, that, that we could do something about this, that he could use us, he could use me to be a part of that picture. Vision helps that happen. Having good vision cast in front of us, we see things that are not the way they're supposed to be and we want to rise up to do something about it. Prayer seeking and interceding and crying out. You see this in Nehemiah's life. It fuels his vision and the vision fuels the prayer and the intercession and him crying out. That's happened for us as a church. That's what's got us here and it's what's got to keep us um, continuing and we got to rely on that to help us be sustained. Perseverance over the opposition. We have to band together. It's only just begun. In some sense, the campaign has just actually put us into position to now we're ready to go after what we've been talking about. We've not really done We've ordered our life. We've you know, made a commitment that says we want to. Now, now we have to do it. Now we have to go after it and persevere in the work that God calls us to and overcome all the opposition that's going to set in and fight. And we see that in Nehemiah's life. And we're going to see that as in our lives and as a body as we chase after this, this mission, repentance and revival. We see that all over Nehemiah personally going through that, calling that for his people. His prayer leads to so much of that. Again, all this stuff developing this picture of, again, why I think we want to be here, a part of this body of city life. To do that, let's, let's do that. Let's do Isaiah 58, 12. Let's do Isaiah 58, 6 through 9. Let's do Nehemiah. Let's play like that. The teaching passage is out of Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. And at the, the heart of this passage, I think it just continues to reveal the heart behind all this. Yes, vision. Yes, prayer. Yes, leadership. Yes, perseverance over opposition that leads to repentance, that leads to revival. But it's the heart. The heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. And Nehemiah, I think if we miss this, we, we're going to 
run out of gas real soon because it would have been like our own fuel. Check out in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 18, like the heart and what's taking place inside of Nehemiah. Verse 14, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, that's 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. We had a chance at advantage and privilege and comfort, but we, we didn't lean into that. But the earlier governors that preceded us, preceded me, they placed a heavy burden on the people. And they took even more. They, they took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and the wine that was allotted them. Their assistance also lorded it all over the people. This is like starts to become the breakdown of Nehemiah, seeing things the way that they're not supposed to be and becoming bothered by it. Like he's seeing leadership in people in position and people with advantage and privilege that are just like leaning and resting into that and living in comfort when others are broken and in pain and suffering. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that, Nehemiah is declaring. But out of like reverence for God, like I know, like I know God. And who and how he is, I know his heart. I know what his heart breaks for. I know how he created things to be. I know what that's supposed to look like, and, and this does not look like that. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work, to the space, to the challenge, to the campaign, to the sacrifice, to the generosity needed to, to rebuild and to repair and to restore, to raise up. And all my men that were assembled there for the work, like they did it too and they did not acquire. We didn't gain anything personally. We were, just, we were there for sacrifice. Us down for others up. That's the heart of Nehemiah leading and with vision and what's driving his prayer. Verse 17, furthermore, 150 Jews of the officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one of my ox, actually, six of my sheep, actually, some of my poultry were prepared and every 10 days, the bill for the abundant supply of wine that came in, that, that was like we gave to that. In spite of all this, I never demanded food and did not lean into that comfort and that privilege that I, you know, the world would say I earned and should just sit in. No, I left all that because of the demands and because the demands were heavy on these people. No way am I going to live like that. I couldn't stand it. I wouldn't be able to look in the mirror. wouldn't be able to spend time with God. Nehemiah, it's his heart that's behind all of this that matters. Nehemiah did not rest in his position of privilege and advantage. Rather, out of his reverence for God and his compassion for people, he devoted himself with great generosity and sacrifice to God's work and mission for his church, his neighborhood, and his world at that time. That's, that's got to be underneath all of this for us. It's hopefully got us to this point. It has it as a body, as an 18-year journey. We've paid off 
The building, we, remember that was part of this series? We ripped up the mortgage. How amazing is that? Tell me, you can't tell me that didn't come out of reverence of God and compassion for people. It's got us here, but we just got to keep it going and up the bar and more of us become a part of it. It was these three things, out of reverence for God, out of compassion for the people that Nehemiah devoted himself generously and sacrificially to God's mission of the rebuilding, repairing, and restoring. I just thought of the verse, Romans 12, 1, when I was thinking of this. Paul calls us to that same kind of life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's Paul pointing to, like, because of, like, just reverence for God, right? You believe in him, you follow him, you know his loving, like, like because of that reverence for him, offer how would we not be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice? Like, how would we not leave advantage and privilege and go out from that and give that up or at least leverage that for others? We'd offer our bodies as like a living sacrifice. That's when we lead a holy and pleasing life that is actually true and proper worship. That's when we lead the kind of life that God can use and starts to involve in his work in this world. A couple other passages in Nehemiah where this heart just continues to be revealed. Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, when it all gets started. This is how it reads. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah and with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And this is Nehemiah giving the evidence that he's first caught wind that something is wrong with the picture. Like he, He's heard something is not right with things and how they're going in Jerusalem, the lives that are living there, what God's picture is for those lives in the city of Jerusalem. Like he, start, he has heard and caught some wind and so he's inquiring. And they said to me, him, those who survived the exile are back in the province. Those of them that are there are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broke down and the gates have been burned with fire. Things are not how they're supposed to be. The lives that are living there are not living the way that God has called them to and they're settled with it. They're, they're okay living short of what God has for them. And that, that's just not right. We, we, can't not let, we can't let that go on. That has to be something we do something about. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and he wept. For some days he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed before the God of heaven because of great reverence for God. Because of knowing if it's like that, God's heart must be so broken. God must care so much about that that he, you kind of join God in that, that kind of perspective or that kind of view or heart through mourning that becomes fasting, that becomes praying. And then this, this is his prayer then. This is what he cries out in response. The Lord, or Lord, the God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive to and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant and that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. He's crying out to God in his awesomeness and just admitting on the front end of this, I know we're falling short. I know we have sin in our lives, but eight becomes the but. But remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses. Remember what you've always done. Remember who you are. Remember how you did this for Moses? You said to him, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I will bring them back. I will restore them. I will help them rebuild. I will bring repair and Nehemiah is reminding God. They're like that close. It's a, it's a conversation. Remember, you did that for Moses. Please do that again. We need that again. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. Nehemiah has heard about the condition of things and how they're not, how God has intended them to be. And his response is to go to God broken and to pray out of reverence for him and build up like this greater compassion for the people. And he, in this plea he's getting ready to give is to King Artaxerxes to allow him to then go and to leave the place of advantage and privilege and to go out as a leader, to go out among the people, to go out to the brokenness and all the pockets that need the restoration. Three things really happen in here that we can see from this passage. Nehemiah's mourning turns to like powerful prayer and fasting. Like mourning is like that first stage where you realize how broken it is and sometimes the tendency is to just sit in the brokenness. That's what those who were in Jerusalem were doing. They were okay with it and they were probably mourning but they didn't move to prayer and to fasting. And that's, that is action. Sometimes we think of prayer and fasting which reveals probably more about my prayer and fasting life. We think that's a passive thing. You know, more, uh, you know no, that it should be radically active. It should be radically activating of everything that then happens from there, from your heart, from God's heart, as we go to him. So Nehemiah's morning becomes prayer that becomes fasting. And his prayer was not just like before meal, end of day, some quick thanksgiving, some quick asks, you know, on the run. It was deep. It was praise of who God is and what he's really like and how awesome he is. And it was intercession on behalf of people, his own sin, but the sin of others. He was taking that on. I'm, I'm willing to wear that. I'm willing to bear that for others so that they can be set free, so we can enter the work 
and see your hand move among them. Repentance, the confession of that sin and interceding on behalf of the supplication, asking for him to move like he's moved before. Can you do that again, please? And there's commitment in that prayer for her, you know, to lay his life down and to go after this. And ultimately, Nehemiah's prayer shows his true heart for God and his true heart for people. This is going to seem like a big swing, but that's what like the 101080 is about, is getting our lives in a place where then our heart can be entirely for God and entirely for people, and then we can act for it, and we can act on vision that God leads us, and we can go to him in prayer the way that, you know, fasting and mourning and, you know, really entering the brokenness in that same kind of way that, that we can go there. Another couple um, passages out of chapter 2 that continue to reflect this same kind of heart, this heart of reverence for God and compassion for people, true, like, truly generosity and sacrifice being laid down, this stewardship thing of like taking personal responsibility to make a difference and to lead a charge that makes a difference. Chapter f- uh, 2, verses 2 and 3. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? So this is King Artaxerxes, who he's going before to ask now that he's prayed to God and is ready to ask King Artaxerxes if he can go and be a part of this work, go and do this work, go and explore the conditions. King Artaxerxes, just by the look of him, could tell he was distraught and had sadness of heart. Nehemiah then says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. And so like the king is the one who set him up in this place of privilege and advantage, of comfort. He has access. He's been allotted. He could you know, tap into the 40 shekels of silver if he's wanted. That's his position. So he's not wanting to be ungrateful to this king that has set him up. But this king can tell how distraught he is just because of really his time with God and the work that's already happening on his interior. He was very much afraid. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, anyway, may the king live forever. You're awesome. Don't get me wrong. Why should my face not look sad, though, when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Things are so far from how they're supposed to be. I'm sorry, but I can't not do something about that. These are my family. This is me. This is my story. This is my people. This is God's redemptive work in this world, and I've got to be a part of that. It's such a heart thing for Nehemiah. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see, the trouble we are in, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So this is now Nehemiah rallying the troops, getting together the first with these thoughts of going. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And then they could not help but replied, 
probably like King Artaxerxes seeing the condition he was in, being able to just sense that and feel that, let alone the words that back it up. They saw the vision, they felt the prayer, they sensed his leadership and what they were being called to, and their reply was, let's start building, let's go. So they began the good work. I feel like you know, that's kind of where we are. The end of the campaign series is the start of the real work of the campaign. Our reverence and compassion have just begun, right? And, and think about that. There are powerful stories already that are happening. What if that's just the beginning? That's the tip of the iceberg. The rest is all underwater still as we chase after this for the next two years to see this work through, to see what's going to happen in our church as it becomes more safe and accessible through the parking and the renovations, but that much more. We all know that that's like a necessary evil. We, we just have to do that to continue the work here in this body, but the neighborhood that is the one that has like got all the curiosity. What is going to happen in the lives and the families of this neighborhood that we are in, that we live in and among? Our reverence and compassion, they've just begun. This is only the tip of the iceberg if we continue to press in. Our 101080 application has just started to give us that chance to move forward. It's really awesome being a part of a church body like this because we're going somewhere. One of the weaknesses is, unfortunately, though, if you're just someone in a seat that wants to go for the ride, you can kind of experience it and think you're, think you're a part of it. But really, all of us is made up of each of us, and if each of us are not doing our part, then we're greatly impacted at the capacity of, of how God can be moving. And so many, is, it's the idea of the one, and so many times it's the idea of the quiet one that never voiced it that was the best idea in the room because God had said to them something about it. And it was part of their story and they cared about it because it was their story and they see others that are in the same kind of confines or the trap or the brokenness of that same story and we realize we can do something about that. And that doesn't come from all of us and that doesn't come from a, the church doing it. That's because each of us have a personal engagement and are in a, in a personal shoot, um, a personal like pursuit of finding that for our lives. Just like the campaign, everyone contributing was a huge goal. And that, yep, that's to the financial part, but no, that's, that's to the vision part. That's to the prayer part. That's to the leadership part. That's to the overcoming opposition part. And that's to the like revival and uh, the repentance part, you know? to see awakening in our lives. So the question that, you know, has to be for each of us. What good work of rebuilding do you think this campaign is personally calling you to do? Don't ride on somebody else's dream. Don't ride on their work. Don't ride on their labor. Let something get birthed inside of you. Like Nehemiah, these five things. What vision is God giving you? What's going on in your heart that you know is going on in God's heart because he cares as much as you care about that or them? It's an issue, it's a people, 
it's a situation, it's an injustice. What's going on in your heart that's going on in God's heart that much more and inside of that is the vision to do something about that. What vision is God giving you? Who is God calling you to pray for? What if that vision, like Nehemiah, leads to prayer first? Like mourning and identifying with that brokenness, but prayer and fasting and mourning and entering that, that kind of story. What if that second, who is God calling you to pray for? That could be one person, but that could also be a people, a people group, a difference that needs to be made in this world for something that's wrong with it. And kids are being messed up by it. Or teens are being messed up by that. Or marriages are being messed up by that. What vision has God given you? Who is God calling you to pray for? You might find vision by starting to pray for people around you and things you're involved in. What does leadership look like in your life? As God's speaking and you're praying, that leadership ends up kind of being goals and a plan and getting people around you and a goal can be to voice that to somebody. One of the most dangerous things you can do with an idea is share it. A guy after last service shared an idea with, him, with me afterwards and I said, the only problem with sharing that is now you're accountable. You're going to have to do something. More praying at least. You know, that's your only out. Who will you surround yourself with to help you persevere against all the opposition? Again, that can just be doubt that your idea matters, that that was really vision or something you heard from God or that is something you're supposed to care about. Who's going to help you overcome that? Surround yourself. Again, your leadership should help you want to do that in your life. Get in a life group. Get on a ministry team. Find, yeah, those kind of relationships. Build them in. And then lastly, it's kind of the, the, just that question again. What great awakening can happen in you as you continue to build kingdom foundations out of reverence for God and compassion for people in your life? What transformational work can happen in each of us that makes this greater difference in all of us as a church body? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your heart. Your heart is just so amazing. Can't imagine the size of it, the depth of it, the width of it that holds the love that you have for this whole world. You are so awesome. And yet, there is so much wrong with our world. So much brokenness. So far from the picture you hold. So many lives, and that's kids, and, and teens, and the elderly. That's everyone. Forgive us of the sin in our lives that causes the brokenness, that contribute to the brokenness. 
we're so sorry. It's not our heart. It's not who we want to be. It's not how we want to be. But it happens. Forgive us. Repair us. Heal us. Restore us so that we can be a part of your greater work. No matter who we are, there are others hurting more. We got to do better so we can do better. Help us do that. And in each of us, may only the tip of the iceberg be currently being sensed. Blow us away with the depth of your love, the depth of your restoration that you want to do in each of us, the depth of your transformation. Your word is full of stories that are just mind-blowing. Blow our minds in these days ahead with your work in love. We love you. We thank you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.